If you feel like you've tried all the diets and nothing works for you, listen up. Losing fat can be so challenging and this interview is going to shed some light as to why and what you can do to lose your stubborn fat. I'm interviewing Dr. Sylvia Terra. She has her PhD in biochemistry and her MBA. She's the author of The Secret Life of Fat. In this book, she uncovers the science behind your least understood organ, your fat. You heard me right. Your fat or adipose tissue is an organ, just like your heart, lungs, and liver. Fat sends and receives signals to control your brain, appetite, body fat, inflammation, and more. In this interview, we talk about why fat is harder to lose as we age, why each time you yo-yo diet, your fat gets harder to lose, why women gain more belly fat after menopause, why self-compassion and grace are important for lasting weight loss, and a fun fact about why sumo wrestlers, despite their larger size, can actually have excellent metabolic health. It all has to do with their fat. You're going to find this interview fascinating and learn so much from Dr. Tara. Hi, I'm Dr. Morgan Nolte, physical therapist turned weight loss coach. I used to struggle with emotional eating, consistency, and confidence. Then I made my health a priority and learned how to lose the mental and physical weight once and for all. I changed my mindset and lifestyle to lose 20 pounds with small, sustainable changes. Each week on the Reshape Your Health podcast, you'll learn simple, actionable, step-by-step strategies to help you do the same. If you're ready to create a body and life you love, you're in the right place. Let's get started. Hey, Dr. Morgan here. Thank you so much for tuning in today. As I learn more and more about mindset, I'm learning that we do not give ourselves enough praise and enough credit. So really quick, give yourself a little pat on the back just for showing up today, for taking one positive step in the direction of your healthy lifestyle that you're creating. I'm always grateful for your time and I'm honored by your presence. I don't know where you're listening from, but it's a beautiful day here in Nebraska. Spring is coming. The flowers are starting to bloom. And as I look out the window, I can see the buds on the trees getting ready to pop open. My almost three-year-old son, Dawson, would say, it's a bright, sunshiny day out, mommy. Vaccinations are now available for adults in Nebraska and it's Easter week. Whatever your background or affiliation there, we celebrate Easter. So it's a really Um, A really great week, a lot to reflect on and be grateful for. So wherever you are listening from, whatever is going on in your life, thank you for tuning in. Thank you for being here with me and at least enjoying a little bit of positivity in your week. I wanted to share a little story from my son this weekend before we dive into the interview. I learned so much from parenting um, that I actually relay on to my coaching clients inside my membership. We took the kids putt-putt golfing yesterday at this cool dinosaur-themed range, and on the 18th hole, my son Dawson, he hit his ball up the steep ramp, and then it disappeared, and it kind of went through a chute, then back down to the main desk so people wouldn't keep playing for free, and he was so upset. He almost started crying. He'd worked so hard all of the 18 holes. He actually got a hole in one. Uh, we joke he's going to be a pro golfer someday. And we'll say, well, you got your full, your first hole in one when you were less than three years old. So that was really fun. 
And anyways, the first thing that he mentioned when he woke up this morning is, Mommy, where did my ball go? He didn't understand how the game worked, and it made him frustrated. And if I wasn't there constantly highlighting the positive and what went well, he would just focus on the negative, and he would have let that last shot ruin the whole experience, and he wouldn't want to go back because he was disappointed in the outcome. And it got me thinking, Maybe you've had a similar disappointing experience for weight loss. Were you disappointed by your last attempt to lose weight and maybe now you're avoiding it altogether? Or maybe you're taking action, but you're really not going all in. Do you keep self-sabotaging because your subconscious mind wants to avoid disappointment? All of these are so common, very real scenarios with people that I work with. So I want to tell you, Once you understand how the game works, once you can anticipate the outcome that you're going to achieve, you will gain so much hope and you will get excited to lose weight. Next time we go putt-putt golfing, I'm going to be sure to prepare Dawson for the expected outcome of his ball disappearing on the last hole. Then he's not going to be disappointed because he knew what to expect. He knew that that's how it worked. He won't make excuses for not wanting to try again. I want to help you do the same. I want to prepare you for weight loss, how it works physically and how it works mentally so that you can avoid that disappointment, so that you can be confident in your outcome of losing weight. I'd like you to think about something. How many of your actions are driven by a fear of disappointment? How many of your actions are driven by a fear of disappointment? For most people, that's kind of a scary question. And let me, let me tell you something. As I've reflected on that for my own life, I've realized that fear doesn't always show up as fear. Sometimes it's worry. Sometimes it's procrastination. Sometimes it's racing thoughts or anxiety. It's different for everybody. Fear can show up in different ways in our life. But if we're always letting that fear affect our actions, we're not going to get the results that we want. And I want to help you get over that fear. And we do that by changing our thoughts. One thought you might be thinking that I see a lot on social media is why can't I lose weight? And I'm going to challenge you to change that to how can I lose weight? That's a much more empowering statement. And to help you learn how, I created a brand new quiz. I am so excited. It's ready for you to take today. The weight loss plateau quiz is going to give you confidence and clarity around your weight loss plateau or regain. And you need this. You need that clarity so that you can see results because there's different types of weight loss plateaus. And if you feel like you're spinning your weight loss wheels and not getting results, you're probably doing things that aren't addressing the root problem, the root cause of your weight gain. I want you to go to weightlossforhealth.com forward slash quiz today right now and take this one minute quiz. That's weightlossforhealth.com forward slash quiz. I created this quiz to help you get to the root cause of your weight struggles. What is your type of weight loss plateau? So whether you're not seeing weight loss or you lost weight and then you regained it, this quiz is for you. It's going to give you clarity so you can move forward with confidence and tailor your program to reach your goals. 
This 60-second quiz will save you time, energy, and disappointment on weight loss strategies that aren't working. You can lose weight. You can overcome a lifetime of bad habits. You are capable of so much. Unless you're driving right now, I want you to pause this podcast and go take the quiz right now. Not later, not someday. Later and someday are not on the calendar and time goes by so fast. If you want results, you've got to take action. And I know you're an action taker. Let's just be sure you're doing the right things. So don't miss out. Don't let a fear of disappointment hold you back from taking this action. Go to weightlossforhealth.com forward slash quiz and take it today. Thanks and enjoy this episode. All right, guys, we have a really special guest today. Dr. Sylvia Tierra is with us. I already introduced her. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. It's great to be here. Yeah. So I wanted to get started really quick with telling you how I actually found your book. And I, I love writing. I love reading. And so I was thinking, hmm, if I ever wrote a book, what would I call it? And then I thought of this great title. Ooh, how about the secret life of fat? And then I thought that must already exist. It's way too good of a title. And sure enough, it did. And that's how I found your book. So can you tell us just a little bit more about why, you know, what was your own journey? You talked about it in the book, but I know people listening or watching maybe haven't read the book yet. So tell us about your own journey and why you decided to write this book. Yeah. So I've always had a very hard time managing fat. I gain fat a lot easier than most people. And I have a much harder time losing it than most people. And I spent my life watching people eat what they want to eat a pizza, a burrito, have a beer, a wine, and and not really have much problem. And I've been on a number of diets. And a lot of times people around me on a similar diet would lose more weight than me, lose it faster. And I thought, you know, something's amiss here. And I was about to start another diet, another, you know, whatever the diet of the moment was. Mm -hmm. And uh, I thought, you know, I'm not doing this anymore. Before I go on one more diet, I'm going to understand everything about fat. I thought, well, you know, I'm a biochemist by training. So if anyone can really understand fat, I surely can understand it. So I went on a long journey where for five years, I just uh, researched everything about fat. I think I pulled out a thousand uh, publications of the scientific literature on fat research. I talked to about 50 scientists around the world about their research and what I was finding out was so shocking and it wasn't in the public sphere, right? It was, it was like hidden in research. And then I thought, you know, I got to share this. I got to tell everybody what I'm finding. So the secret life of fat is about all that research that I did and um, how fat really behaves very differently than we think it does. And it's doing different things than we think it is. It has a whole different function in our body. Surprisingly, fat can control our thoughts. It can control our mind. It can control our metabolism that has a lot of self-preservation tricks that it can use to stay on us. And if you don't understand them or you don't, you don't know what they are, it can be very frustrating to try to lose fat because it's, it's working against you. So the key is to understand your fat knowledge is power and then work with your fat to lose it, not against Mm it. Right. And so that's what the book is about. We're going to dig into that. And I always like talking about people's why we were talking offline about the psychology of weight loss. And I believe it's very, very important for people to identify why they want to lose weight, why they want to get healthy. So what, what's your why you kind of said you struggled a lot, but really what's your why? I mean, this is a labor of love five years, a thousand research <laughs> articles. You've built kind of a brand around this. So what is that deep seated motivation keeping you going? 
I mean, for one, everybody wants to you know, be thin. It's all around us. There's health reasons to stay thin, right? As you go on, we hear all about the link yeah. with dementia, the link with bones, the link with heart attacks, right? So we, we all have to get into a healthy weight. That's really important. And that doesn't mean being super thin necessarily. It just means a healthy weight. We all want to look a certain way as well, right? I mean, I think as we get older, it's very easy to gain fat easier than before. And so we see our bodies changing. And it's like, what the heck? You know, I didn't plan for this. So for all those reasons, and just feeling like I'm in control, feeling like I've got a handle on this. And it's not perfect. I still gain weight here and there, right? But but at least now I understand my body better, what you know, what it takes to, to gain it, what it takes to lose it. So I mean, that's the, that should be the why for every, everyone. And, and the book, even though I talk about my struggle and the extreme measures I took to lose yeah. weight, you don't have to be super thin to be healthy. And I just want to make that known too. Fat is actually your friend. And that sounds ridiculous. But fat, it's an endocrine organ. It's not just sitting there, right? It's as, much, as important as your lungs or your colon or anything else. I mean, think of it like your adrenal gland or your thyroid gland. It is a knitting hormones that your body depends on and your body doesn't have another place to get these 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 uh, hormones from necessarily it's really depending on fat so naturally when you're trying to lose an organ that's really important to your body your body wants to defend it and so you have to work within that framework of knowing your body's trying to protect the fat because it is there to help you right and then so so you know take your time lose it slow I mean try try not crash dieting or thinking of this as I just have to do this for 12 weeks and I can come off and go back to being normal you probably can never really go back to being normal once you have fat and we can we can dig into all of that fat acts very differently especially once you've tried to lose it and you've lost some your fat has now changed <laughs> it's not the same anymore tell us how that happens because a lot of women come to me having quote unquote tried tried everything they tried a lot of different diets um, and I really tell them, you have to lose weight how you want to live the rest of your life. This is a lifestyle change. This is a mindset change. How does our fat change from chronic yo-yo dieting? And how does it make it harder to lose in the future? Yeah, and that is the crux of the issue. That's the biggest you know, message out of this book um, and this research. So our fat produces a hormone called leptin, right? And so leptin gets secreted from fat, it goes into our bloodstream, and it reaches our brain where it interacts with our hypothalamus. Um, and when we start to lose fat, right, we have less leptin because our body's signaling there's less fat, less leptin. Our brains really react to less leptin in the bloodstream. And it starts to send them on a mission to go find food to our brain, to our animal brains. What this feels like is, oh my goodness, something's wrong, right? We're losing fat. We're losing energy. Something's wrong in the environment. We have to, we have to go find food. People who've lost 10% of their weight tend to become much more responsive to food. They're much more hungry. They're much more food seeking, right? Our appetite gets really big when we start losing weight. Also leptin binds with skeletal muscle. So when we start losing leptin, our metabolism goes down, our body shifts to more efficient ways to burn calories. It tries to burn less calories. Your muscles switch to, to, to separate fiber, separate proteins. And so we get a bigger appetite and a slower metabolism as we start losing our fat. And it's not because we're lazy. It's not because, you know, I think this was interpreted you know, by some diets that you have to eat in order to burn calories because our stomach burns calories as a digest. No matter how you lose your weight, right? If you eat all day or fast or whatever it is, no matter what, when you start losing fat, your, your metabolism will get lower by about 22%. So that means about 450 calories less a day, right? Than, than you used to eat. So if you think of it, someone who was 170 pounds and lost 50, lost 20 pounds to get to 150 pounds, 
they will have to eat 22% fewer calories than the person who was at 150 pounds naturally without losing weight. And this effect will last for years. It's been studied for six years. I don't think scientists are even sure if it ever goes away for everybody, right? That this caloric penalty lasts. So you're hungrier and you're burning less calories. You want to eat and you want to preserve your calories. So this is a state people will stay in for a long time. So what I tell people, you know, too, and, you know, I just put a course together because I want some more like action items from the book to help people actually put this in, into action is to pick a diet you want to be on for the long haul, right? This isn't something you're going to be on for half a year and then you can go back and you can eat like your friends eat. This is you, right? This is you. So after you've yo-yo dieted, your fat is different and your body is different. It's trying to save calories now. So something that you can stay on psychologically, you're happy on the mm -hmm. diet. Um, it fits your lifestyle, right? If you don't like a lot of food prep or very special ingredients, pick one that you don't need to do all those things for. Pick one where your body is losing weight. So those clients you mentioned, you know, if they're having trouble on the diet, they're not losing on a diet. Not every diet is meant for the same person. You know, if you're like a 22-year-old male, you've got about 15 pounds to lose, never been that heavy before in your life. It's going to come off so easily for you. You can pick almost any diet. You know, just cut out carbs, do a little exercise. It should come off in a couple of weeks, really, if you're that person. Now, if you're a 55-year-old woman who's had a couple of kids, had an extra 50 pounds for years, yo-yo dieted, you're going to be probably take, it could take you like six months to lose those yeah. 10 or 15 pounds. It'll take a really long time. So don't beat yourself up. You're not doing anything wrong on the diet. It just is your fat has gotten a lot more clever in the time you've been trying to lose it. It's found workarounds to stay on you. So just stay on it will come off, yeah. but you have to stay on that diet a long time. I want to hear a little bit more. You talk about the differences between men and women in the book. Why do women have a harder time losing fat than men? Yeah, that was so good. I, I think I've spent my whole life watching like my husband or men around me just eat whatever they want. There's no weight problem. And then they, they no. tell you you're not dieting right. And they tell you how to do it. It's like, no, I, I need to understand this. I know there's something there. Yeah. <laughs> so, Girls get more fat from the beginning, even before they're born, you know, it's likely they have more fat than boy babies. So our bodies are just different. We, we partition more nutrients into fat than men do. Right. And so if you think of it like a 401k, right. So if you get your paycheck, a certain amount goes into your 401k, no matter what, same thing for women, we get a certain amount that goes into our fat, no matter what, and it's a higher percent than men. So really at the time girls are, are born, they're already fatter than boy babies. And this lasts for a long time. Now, the other things that go into it uh, are that our body is, is very good at shuttling our, our nutrients, right? And our blood into our fat. So in a way, our bodies are keeping us healthier because, um, you know, for men that they might circulate more, but men have more heart disease as mm -hmm. well, right? Because they're not depositing it as quickly into the fat. Women are very good at putting nutrients into fat. So we're a little fatter, but, but, you know, a little healthier as well, you know, especially as we get into old age, women react a lot more to uh, ghrelin. So after you, you exercise, say, you know, um, a good, like you burn a good five, 600 calories in an exercise session, your stomach will release a hormone called ghrelin. And that makes you hungry. Women's ghrelin levels are about 33% higher than men after a bout of exercise like that. So they tend to eat more after mm -hmm. they exercise as well. So th there's so many reasons why, um, you know, women tend to be a little more fat. We compensate more. Our bodies want to be fat. We also depend on our fat, especially after menopause for estrogen, yeah. right? Yeah. Our bones are dependent on fat. So teenage girls, as they start dieting, it's actually quite 
it can be quite dangerous for them because they're the, that link between bone and fat for teenage girls is strong. So anorexia, you see a lot of problems with, with uh, this in girls, um, their bones will get porous. In fact, their brains will lose volume as well. So, so fat for women is actually quite important. And so that's, uh, that's another big one. So overall, there's just, there's so many reasons it's the partitioning it's the overcompensating as well. Um, and we, you know, we utilize fat very readily. So it's funny because when you exercise as a woman, men's bodies tend to go for glycogen stores, which is carbohydrate stores in the muscle, whereas women will go for fat stores. So although we utilize fat, we also put it back very readily at two to three times the rate that men do. We, we clear you know, nutrients out of the blood, fat out of the blood, and we put it right back into fat. So mm-hmm. there's an upside. It is keeping us healthier overall, but we get more fat. And that's what one of the ways that fat is good. You said that at the beginning, I'm sure some people's jaw drop, like my fat is not good, but you're saying that the fat stores in our body pull fat out of the bloodstream and reduce our risk for heart disease and, and other things like that. So is that kind of what you mean by fat is good? Or are there some other um, benefits to our fat? And there's a lot of benefits to fat. So that's certainly one. The function of fat is to sequester things and save them for the future, right? Well, that's one of the primary functions. And and women do that very efficiently, more so than men. But the other things are the hormones that it is producing. So we talk about leptin, right? And leptin is not just useful for controlling your appetite and controlling um, your skeletal muscle, your metabolism. Leptin is directly linked to brain size, right? So there are people who have um, defective fat, if you can believe it, there's such a thing where their fat actually doesn't produce leptin, right? They have a genetic defect. They have all kinds of problems. Um, they don't mature. Obviously, there's, uh, it's, it's strange. They're stuck in a kind of adolescent mindset, right? So, so leptin, right, fat through leptin is, is in control of our maturation. They don't reproduce, right? They have problems with um, ovulation, with their menstrual cycles. Also, leptin is linked to brain size, Right. So um, without leptin, they, their brain volume is actually not the same as well. Um, even our immune system is linked to fat and leptin. Um, people who have, are anorexic, right, have very low leptin levels or defects are more prone to infection. Wound healing is even you know, yeah. affected by leptin. So there's so many things in our body that depend on leptin. And fat is a primary source of leptin. So treat it like you would your adrenal gland or thyroid gland. It's this really important organ. So when it gets too big, it's not good because that also has issues. Um, but you need a certain amount of it to be healthy. So the whole dogma of, you know, the less fat you have, the better, try to get to yeah. 7% or something. Well, that's not good necessarily. You need your fat because it is an endocrine organ. Um, one thing we haven't talked about is, is where you store fat because that's yeah. also really important. So there's subcutaneous fat, which is the fat right underneath the skin. That is the safe deposit of fat. If you're going to have fat, you want it there. You want it like in your arms or your legs, or your buttocks, that, that deposit that's underneath your skin. The unhealthy fat is visceral fat. And that's the fat that's under your stomach wall, right? So if you lie on your, your back, right, and you have this huge paunch and it doesn't flatten out, that's probably underneath your stomach wall. And that is really dangerous fat. That's the fat linked to heart disease, diabetes, and all kinds of, of problems. And so you can have a little extra fat as long as it's in the right areas. And so women, you know, with our ability to store fat at two to three times the rate of men. Okay. So we're a little heavier, a little softer, make sure it's not in your belly area, right? Keep Mm -hmm. it away. Um, Another hormone fat secretes is called adiponectin. Adiponectin helps guide the the nutrients, uh, the fat in your blood to those safer deposits of fat. It keeps it away from your visceral area and it, it puts it into your subcutaneous area. 
exercise is linked with adiponectin. So if you exercise, right, it causes your fat to release adiponectin and that helps guide your fat in the safer deposits. I read about sumo wrestlers, right? Obviously. That's fascinating. Tell us about (laughs) sumo wrestlers and and how they're healthy, even though even though they're, they're larger. So tell us about that. Gigantic, right? And and they have these huge bellies. That belly fat is underneath the skin. It's not underneath the stomach wall. They exercise for about six hours a day. So they eat a lot of calories, 6,000 calories a day, but they exercise six hours a day. And because they exercise so much, they have good amounts of, of adiponectin. And all that fat you see is in the subcutaneous layer. It's not in the visceral area. And so they don't actually get heart disease or diabetes, even though they're that fat. And so I'm not telling anyone to, to yeah. as a sumo wrestler at all, but I'm just saying that you, you can be overweight and still not have those problems. And, and interestingly, when sumo wrestlers come up, stopping sumo yeah. wrestlers when they retire, they get sick very quickly, right? They start to have metabolic issues very fast because they're not exercising that much anymore. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, don't, don't sweat it. I think if you have an extra 10 pounds, it's always best not to be too overweight, but if you have an extra 10, 15 exercise, right? Exercise and make sure it's going to the right areas and you can actually be okay with a little bit of weight. I think it's really important to highlight the, some, some mindset things that might be going on for, for people, especially myself. So I used to have actually exercise bulimia in high school. And then I got female athlete triad where I lost, um, my period, you know, I'm sure my bone health, um, was impaired by that. And that was about 10 months and it was done when it was done. It was done. I never had any more issues with food and exercise, but that's ingrained in so many people that we exercise to burn calories. And what mm-hmm. I loved that you pointed out in the book was, mm, there's a lot of different benefits to exercise, like an increase in adiponectin, which moves fat into the safe stores. So away from the visceral into the subcutaneous fat. And also I'm a big advocate of strength training because it builds muscle, which improves insulin sensitivity, which will help with weight loss. So another thing I'd like to to talk about before we pivot onto the different types of fat, not just visceral and subcutaneous, but getting a little bit more molecular. Why do women have more belly fat after menopause? Yeah, this is interesting. Our fat redistributes. Yeah. So fat cells themselves have receptors for testosterone and estrogen and growth hormone and all of those things. And as we get older, we have lower levels of those hormones, testosterone and estrogen. Mm-hmm. Um, our, our fat is not getting burned at the same rate anymore, right? Because they're used to getting these signals, right? So when you think about it, fat, um, they have receptors they're like ears. So I say in my book that fat can talk because fat is releasing hormone and it's talking through its hormones and our cells have ears for this hormone, right? So they're listening and the fat is, you know, if they're listening, not only fat, but a lot of different signals in the body. So they're listening to insulin, they're listening to growth hormone, testosterone. And when you start to age, those levels of testosterone, estrogen, they go down and normally those are great fat busting hormones. Testosterone is a great hormone for burning fat. <laughs> and as it starts to go down, fat's not getting the signal. So it starts accumulating. It's not burning. It's not maintaining itself the same way. And so it starts to accumulate in areas where it didn't used to be, right? So women will start to get more belly fat all of a sudden, even though they've never had it before. Men get it more in their back, right? They get it in their belly in particular. Mm-hmm. Women get it more in their legs, um, in other areas, a little less in the belly than men, although they will start to get some belly fat, you know, why it accumulates there versus elsewhere. I don't, I don't know if there's an answer for that yet, but it does start to accumulate more overall and in different places. 
So it's it's really interesting. And if, if you think of it, we're just in the beginning of fat research. Yeah. That was it wasn't even funded really until the obesity epidemic started getting bigger, right? Like started to become a larger problem. So really not even until like the 80s or 90s did fat research ever start to get funded. And so we're just starting to learn all these really interesting things about our own fat. So, you know, before it was like, yeah, you eat low fat, if you eat less fat, you'll be less fat. It was so simple diets. And now that we're starting to learn things like, you know, the pendulum swings and now we're all about anti-sugar. That's the new thing now, you know, to stop sugar, but, but it's going to change and we're going to learn a lot more, I think, mm-hmm. um, you know, as research continues. Now, just to best manage the time of this interview, I think that I want you to briefly touch on how there are different, you know, in the book, you, one of the people that you interviewed said, we need to think about, I think it was, I think it was your book. We need to think about obesity as obesities, just like we do cancer as cancers. So can you give us just a couple of examples, how obesity, excess fat can be caused by something aside from, you know, an excess of calories or an excess of insulin? Yeah, so all of our bodies are really different in how we manage fat. In fact, 20 people could eat the same thing. They could eat a muffin. Not everyone's going to have the same response, right? There are some people who they don't get any kind of blood sugar response from a certain food, a muffin, say. Other people will have a huge blood sugar spike. So we're all very different. Um, and, and so how you manage your fat has to be different too. What you can eat will be different than what someone else can get away with, say. So I think that's where we have to look at fat and its variation. And what's your fat blueprint? And this is more about what my course goes into is like trying to figure out your fat, right? Where are you on the fat stubbornness scale, right? And, and one of the best ways to get it individualized in your fat and your diet is to keep a log of what you do every day. This is what really helped me figure out, you know, what I needed to do to lose weight. Because again, back to my original story, I tried a whole bunch of things and I didn't lose weight. I could actually gain weight on a diet. I might be the only one. But I can actually. You're gain not. <laughs> You're not. They tell you to eat all the time or graze. You know, so that was yeah. a, a fad for a while. Like I would gain weight on those. Um, so, so individualize yours. Keep a log, and I keep a log of what I eat, what time I ate, and what the caloric content is of that. And I, I go into detail. If it's a sandwich, what was in the sandwich? And it, it's a log. At least do this for the time that you're trying to figure out what diet's going to work for you. At the same time, weigh yourself every day, and you'll start to see, you know, a trend of what you can eat or not. Right? What what's making you lose or not? Um, and also, the other lever there is what time you eat. That's really important. Yeah. Because if you do have more stubborn fat, and the way you diagnose that is looking at your family history, right? Looking at your own dieting history. Have you yo-yo diet a lot? We talked about the effect of, of leptin yo-yo dieting. That's a big one. Are you female? What's your age? If you're older, it's going to be harder because those fat busting hormones are lower. So, so figure out where you are on the spectrum. Keep that log. If you're having trouble losing weight, there there's a couple levers to really work with. One is your carb intake, right? Certainly. So white flour, sugar, that should be out from the start. That that will work for everybody. You'll have to reduce it even more, right? If you're having trouble losing weight, there's hidden carbs everywhere. They can be in salad. Oh, yeah. They can be in lunch meat, right? There's this gelatins, carbs, stabilizers, all these things. <laughs> we don't know what we're eating. And I have a chapter on that too, right? All the obesogens that, that were around all the time. Yeah. So cook your own food, right? Eat the most whole food you can, like meats that you cook yourself, salads, things like that. Um, And then watch the time. Also, if it's really stubborn fat, you're going to want to increase your fasting window. So when we fast overnight, growth hormone peaks at night, actually. And growth hormone is a really good fat buster. When we eat, we mitigate the effects of growth hormone, right? It dissipates. 
And so like, if you have, if you eat at night, um, you know, you have food in your system, growth hormones, not going to have the same effect as if you're going to bed more empty, where it can really bust through your fat. So try to increase the fasting window overnight and let growth hormone do its thing. So if you're having stubborn fat, you're on the high end of that stubbornness scale, stop eating at six o'clock, right? Just, just Mm -hmm. go into bed a little bit hungry. When you wake up, don't eat right away. See how long it takes before you really need to eat. If you can get your fasting window to about 16 hours a day, um, you should start to see your, your fat move, right? But you don't have to do that if you're that 22-year-old male who has 15 pounds, right. you're not doing that. <laughs> but if you're on the stubbornness scale, right, and you're like me and you gain very easily, you'll have to do some of those tricks. Mm-hmm. So it's all about individualizing diets for you. You can pick a diet that works for you, paleo or like low-carb diet, you know, you can make that work. It's actually a good one because you're eliminating almost all your carbs at that point, right? That can work too but it has a high recidivism rate. So people will come off it fast. They tend not to stay out. I know. Right. Yeah. We need to be sustainable. And another thing I wanted to be sure we touched on here was the psychology behind weight loss, which is something that's a passion of both of ours. And I think, especially when you try to help people lose weight and maybe they hit a plateau and then that challenges you, you know, as a coach, as a clinician, how can I help this person even more? What do I need to dig into? And usually what I like to compare it to is a mental weight loss plateau or a physical weight loss plateau. And I think that the gas pedal things are like the lower carb diets, the um, exercise, the intermittent fasting, the sleep, the stress reduction, but then there's a brake pedal and these are dysfunctional thoughts, limiting beliefs, you know, and I think a lot of people have such ingrained negative thought patterns and bad habits that are holding them back from actually going and seeing progress with the gas pedal. So I'm, I'm trying to help people take your foot off the brake so that you can move forward. And can you talk us through your perspective on the psychology behind weight loss? There's so much behind that, right? So, so it, it gets around to habits. That's a really big one. So the more you make things automatic where you don't have to think about it, it's not a decision it'll start building on itself. It's like a snowball, if you will. Success begets success, failure begets failure. So the first thing I think is dichotomous thinking is good to know about. So there are yes. people, who, yeah, they, if they have one failure, they think, well, I'm a failure now. I might as well just fail the rest of the day in this week and this month. What does it matter? So if I didn't get an A in a class, I got a B. I'm a total failure. and I might as well get an F. <laughs> yeah. Women have this a lot more than men. And I've talked to a number of coaches, a number of doctors who also work with patients for uh, medical weight loss. There's something about women that there's more of a guilt factor there. So if they go off, it's hard. They, they want to, they, they tend to keep failing at that point. Whereas a lot of guys will be like, yeah, I had a beer. So what? And they just get back on. So you got to watch that slippery slope. Everyone comes off their diet. In fact, you should come off your diet once in a while. It's very hard to stay on. It's mentally exhausting to never give yourself a break. Know that you're going to come off once in a while and just get back on. It doesn't mean you're a failure. It doesn't mean that the whole world now has to turn into a binge session right? It just means you had an ice cream. It's okay. Everyone has an ice cream once in a while. Um, So watch the dichotomous thinking. I mean, the other part is as much as you can turn these into habits that you don't have to think about. Yeah. So like, you know, experiments that are done on the willpower world, you know, they have people go to the gym and and some people um, like they they get to have some kind of temptation with it. Like they have an audio novel or they get paid to Mm -hmm. go to the gym and they tend to go to the gym more often if there's a temptation there. And when they remove the temptation, there's no more money and there's no more, no more audio novel. They still go to the gym more often because it's become a habit. 
So you have to make it to where it's not something you're convincing yourself to do. You just do it. You get up and you do this exercise and don't stop. Once you do that, don't stop your habit. You'll want to do it automatically. You'll feel weird if you didn't exercise and mm-hmm. feels change. Just stay on that habit. So that's the slippery slope you want to stay on is that slippery slope of a good habit. Um, another thing is that you can have decision fatigue. So with doctors, they're told to wash their hands all day in a hospital, right? Towards the end of the day, they stop washing their hands because they're just fatigued at having to do this. If they have longer breaks in between, they can continue the good habit for longer, right? And so, so you want to give yourself breaks, actually. Think about what's rewarding to you. So as you're on this diet and you're being really adherent and you're on good behavior, you're going to need something that gets you real excitement. That's a break. You know, if you're a prone to dichotomous thinking, don't let that break be an ice cream or a guilty food pleasure. Try to find something else. Shop. Like I like to, you know, I waste a lot of money. I'll just go online and buy something. <laughs> right. So I've got a closet full of stuff. I don't always wear, but find <laughs> whatever it is. And don't yeah, it works. Yeah. yeah. Well, find what works for you and, and don't feel guilty about that. Do that guilty pleasure, but give yourself a kind of pleasure break, you know, so you lose five pounds shop uh, shopping is good too once we get past covid because it makes it's close shopping because you have to go in front of the mirror and you have to put things on right and so it keeps you conscious of what you look like as well so anyway just just find what it is is it a movie is it an entertainment you know is it going out to your favorite restaurant whatever it is but give yourself breaks or you can't stay on this for the long haul no, so it's yeah. getting like healthy mentally and the other thing is like no you can do it right that's another thing is people will look at something like, well, I'll never be that. And our mm-hmm. dieting industry makes this really hard because a lot of diet books will have some fitness guy on this looking really good with big muscles, a washboard ab. And it's like, well, it just feels unattainable to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. You don't even have to be that to be healthy, right? So, so be careful of that, right? So don't, don't make this be, feel like an impossible dream. You can do it. If you even have 200 pounds, right, that you have to lose, right? Even a 7% weight loss helps your insulin sensitivity enormously. Yeah. So you don't have to get to washboard abs before you can be healthy and happier. So don't let the perfect get in the way of the possible. Get on your own journey, mm-hmm. right, for your own health and lose the weight you need to lose. And you don't have to look like what the dieting industry tells you to. If you think about it, they're really incented to give you something that's impossible to attain. Like here, here's this perfect figure. This is what you can be if you go on my diet. And if you're not that, then you're at fault. You're the one who didn't do my diet right. And, and they'll keep you wanting to, to get this unattainable goal because you'll keep buying, right? So, so you have to get out of this dieting industry mindset, worry about your own health, figure out your own fat blueprint, do the things that help you lose weight, which might not be what helps you know, other people in your family lose weight, individualize it for you and stay on it and just live a healthy, happy life. Yeah. Well, I know we could talk for hours, but you have another meeting coming up. So can you please let our listeners know where they can connect with you? Sure. So I'm on Facebook. I'm at Sylvia Terra PhD. And I'm on Twitter as well. Go to the website, www.thesecretlifeoffat.com. Um, there's articles there, the courses there as well. Um, I post regularly on Facebook too. So, uh, and my, my email is somewhere on my, on my uh, website page. So you can get to me that way as well as Facebook. Sabrina. And we will link to that below. Now, really quick surprise question, one minute or less. I love asking my guests, what is your most proud moment what's your proudest accomplishment thus far I think it's writing that book (laughs) absolutely dang it that must have been so hard and it is so good so if you have not read that book download it it's amazing you guys are going to learn so much we just grazed the surface today Dr. Tara thank you again for your generosity of time and expertise great thank you it's great to be here
Bye-bye. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you had a big takeaway, I would love if you took a screenshot of this episode on your phone and posted it on your Instagram story, tag at Dr. Morgan Nolte and let me know your big takeaway. I love hearing what you're learning and by sharing it on Instagram, whoever kind of follows you can see what you're listening to and they can know that you're finding this helpful. Thanks again for tuning in and I'll talk with you at the same time, same place next week. Bye for now.